Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us as we open your word. Yes. Multiply the bread sown that it might bear fruit in the hearts and lives of each of thy saints that are here yes. for the honor and the glory and the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In whose name I pray, amen. amen. I want to begin our perfection. If we want the Lord's full spiritual blessings in our lives, and I'm about to show you this and prove it to you from the Word of God, if we want to be walking in the Spirit and have the Lord's presence with us, our marriages had better be perfect. So tonight, for one short sermon, I'm going to preach about marriage. And I'll do it again in a few weeks if we don't see perfect marriages in this assembly. Because for us to think that the Lord is going to come and dwell among us and to fill us with his blessings and to walk with us and talk with us and fill us with his power and his love while we have strained marriage relationships, we're dreaming. Amen. So listen, this morning I taught you the goal for a New Testament church and we have just kept the ordinance. But I want to tell you something. Jesus died for a purpose. He died to redeem us from all iniquity, and to purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. If we can't get our marriages perfected, how in the world shall we perfect this church? If we really want godly perfection in our lives, let's start with our marriages. Let's get started at home. He died to make our marriages better. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, he's just addressed the women for six verses. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Amen. I do not want my prayers hindered with what I'm praying for right now, and I don't think you want my prayers hindered since I'm praying for you, and you shouldn't want your prayers hindered. Right. If we do not have perfect marriages, and by perfect I mean it in the sense that we used it and saw it this morning, and I'm not going to apologize for it, if we don't have perfect marriages, our prayers are hindered. The text is right here. Now I have a text that's even better. Turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. That's a good one. That's a great one. Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Remember what you're supposed to know about women. Give them honor. They're a weaker vessel. Give them honor. They're an heir together with you of eternal life. That your prayers be not hindered. If we let one of those phrases or clauses fall to the ground, then our prayers are going to be hindered. And we shall pray for the Spirit, and we shall pray for the Lord's presence in our lives, and we'll end up being dry, because we've cut them off. The Lord says this in Isaiah, My hand or arm is not shortened, that it cannot save. Amen. My ear is not stopped up, that it cannot hear. Right. But your sins and your iniquities have separated you from me. I will not hear. I want him to hear. I want him to hear you, and I want him to hear me for you, 
and all of us, for me, to achieve and see in this congregation what the Lord has for us. Look at Malachi 2, verse 11. Follow with me. These are long sentences, but just follow with me. Malachi 2, 11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange god. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit? And wherefore one? that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Amen. Is this addressed to pagans? Is this addressed to the house of the Lord with men bringing offerings and sacrifices and prayers? Yes. Does it describe marriages to foreign women? Yes. Is that all that it describes? No. It is also including women coming to that altar, crying and weeping because those men have not been fair with their wives in their spirit. And the Lord is a witness. Let me make this so clear. I do not know what your marriage is like at home. Most of the rest of us don't know what your marriage is like at home, and you're not sure what my marriage is like at home. But I want to tell you about a witness to your marriage and a witness to mine. It's the Lord of hosts that sees everything, and all things are naked and opened unto His eyes. And He is a witness not merely to the outward actions, but to the Spirit. Did did you hear that in there several times? Mm -hmm. The Spirit that we have toward our spouse. May the Lord, by His Spirit, let these words rest in your souls to know that the Lord God looks upon marriages and sees a spouse coming to Him with tears and sorrow and holds us accountable. If we have driven our spouse to come that way to the altar of God, or to come that way, and that person's pouring out of their soul, that they are unhappy because we have dealt treacherously with them. And we can deal treacherously with a spouse in a whole lot more ways than just marrying a foreign wife. 1 Peter 3, 7 was much much more mild than marrying a foreign wife. It was just not remembering what a woman's like, that she's a weaker vessel, that she's an heir together of the grace of life, and giving her honor. The Lord makes this very important for us. If we do not have 
God-pleasing, perfect marriages, we give place to the devil. Right. If we give place to the devil, then we are no longer being sober and vigilant to protect ourselves from that enemy that wants your soul. If we do not have perfect marriages, we grieve the Spirit of God and we quench His Spirit. Amen. Because that Spirit is one of love and that Spirit is, is one that remembers she is the covenant of thy youth. She's the companion of thy youth. And she's the companion of thy covenant. He knows all that. And when He sees us violating that covenant, violating what the Word of God tells us to do toward our spouse, we grieve the Spirit of God and therefore our prayers become meaningless. How can we pray to have a full, a fullness of the Spirit's presence in our lives if we have an offended relationship with our spouse. And you can hide it from me. And you can hide it from the other members. But you cannot hide it from God. Right. And brethren, let's, let's get serious. If, we, if you say, well, now he's messing with something that is too personal. No! Let the Word of God mess with whatever it wants to. This is the word of the Lord. And if it comes after us into the personal, intimate, private places of our lives, let it come. But let's obey it. If, if we balk right here, if you put up a roadblock against me, which I am only declaring the word of the Lord, then you are going to be a hindrance to your own development in perfection. You're going to be a hindrance to the rest of this congregation. I'm not worried about Achan going into the city of Jericho and taking a wedge of gold and some clothing. I'm worried about Achan not loving his wife. And I'm worried about Mrs. Achan not submitting to her husband. Because if that happens, it's going to have the same effect. We're going to go up to take Ai, and 30 of us are going to die. Did you know that the truth can be hindered by not having a perfect marriage? The commandments that are given in 1 Timothy 5 and Titus chapter 2 are given for marriages so that the Word of God cannot be blasphemed. Doesn't that excite you right there? If we had perfect marriages, we can be a testimony to this dark world that marriage still works, even though they're saying thumbs down on it. Right. Let's prove it to them. Amen. Your children could rise up and say that our religion, and blaspheme our religion, unless you give them a good example. I have heard, and I think the words are very wise, that the greatest gift a man can ever give his son is to love his mother. Just think about that. The greatest gift a mother can ever give her daughter is to submit and cheerfully obey and love that daughter's father. That's an example for us to set forth the gospel in all of its glory because it saves us even in practical matters like marriage. I'm not going to be long tonight because I don't think it takes a long time. I think it just takes all of us to be reminded of what we ought to be doing in our marriages to please the Lord. Amen. The wife. Seven points for you women, and I'll be brief. First of all, you need to remember the purpose for which you were created. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the word of the Lord. You can hate me all you want. I don't think you do. But if, Paul, if a man ever stood and felt a little weak and fearful and trembling in his flesh. It's when he addresses women with the word of God because it is so different from what is taught in our world. If we had lived in the time of the patriarchs, the words of the New Testament and the words of the Old Testament wouldn't bother anyone a bit. They all lived it and practiced it. 
It's harder today. For women, the first thing you ought to do when you rise in the morning, throughout the day, when you're wondering what this day really means and what you should be trying to accomplish, remember why God created you. 1 Corinthians 11.9 Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. You should not be thinking about what your husband hasn't done for you or what he should be doing for you. Your focus should be on what are you doing for your husband because that is what God created you for. Genesis chapter 2. God made this a man's world. God put Adam in it, gave him all the animals. Adam kept the garden. Adam named the animals. But Adam was alone. And even with the Lord as his companion, it wasn't enough. And so we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 that God made a help meet for Adam. Don't talk to me about help meets because I don't know what that is. It's not a real word. He made a helper for Adam that was meat for him. That was that's fit, appropriate, and suitable for Adam. And women certainly are. What will we do without them? But women, your purpose in creation. Why do you exist on this earth? In your marriage, it is for your husband. And he doesn't exist with the same purpose for you. In this same chapter of 1 Corinthians 11, it says that the head of the man is Christ and the head of Christ is God, but the head of the woman is the man. Just keep that in mind. The man is in the image and glory of God. How is a man in the image and glory of God in a way that you are not? Because he's in authority and the marriage was made for him. Just like Jesus Christ and God are in authority and all things were made for them. That's how we are in the image and glory of God. By the authority. Number one. Remember your purpose. Listen, if there's a woman, if there are women in here tonight that want to be perfect and grow up to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and be perfect, as we saw this morning, you that's all I need to say on that point. Tomorrow and the next day and tonight, you will remember God has told me what I was created for, my husband. And he wasn't created for me. That's both both of those statements are in that verse, verse 9. Therefore, I'm not going to complain and worry and fuss and fret about what he's not doing for me. I'm going to be doing for him because I was made for him. Number two, remember God's ordained role. Now that's your purpose from creation. The role is one of submission. You can't have two chiefs in a marriage. You can't have two partners. I don't care what the world says. I don't care if they call it a partnership, a friendship, or anything like that. There is a very definite order in authority in the Word of God. Amen. And the woman's to submit, and the man's to rule over her. Part of that was the order of creation. God, it was a man's world. God saw that the man was lonely, so he made a helper. Obviously, a helper is under the one whom she is helping. Then, after the fall, she aggravated her situation by being so foolish in the Garden of Eden, and 1 Timothy 2 tells us that it's now aggravated, and she's to submit to her husband in everything. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. We don't want to just take anybody's word for this. This doesn't... For someone that wants to please the Lord, for someone who's praying for the Spirit of God, this is not hard. The only time this becomes hard is when a woman is chosen to do things her way. And if you choose to do things your way, I will tell you right now about your soul. You are unhappy, and you are miserable, and you will be till the day you die, Amen. and your existence will be miserable unless you repent. If you'll repent and do things the Lord's way, if you'll give up your life for Him, 
by being a proper wife, you will find your life. Amen. Right. I'm not a wife, but I've been there, done that. Lose your life for his sake, and you'll find it. Amen. If you try to keep it, well, I'm not going to lay myself down like that and let someone treat me like a doormat. Well, quit fussing about that. When we see that happening, we'll warn the unruly husband. Amen. Until then, try to be a wife that God created and God wants and God is pleased with. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's pretty serious submission. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, and that's pretty serious and extensive, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. It's just the way it is. Men do it on the job. Women, you do it in the homes. You do it in your marriage. So tomorrow and tonight and the next day, if the Lord tarries, women, God created you for a very specific purpose, your husband. Your role is one of submission in everything. 1 Peter chapter 3. How is my ministry going to be different? It's going to be different this way. I'm trusting the Lord like I've never trusted Him in my life. I don't think this takes a 20-sermon series on marriage. I think I can do it in 45 minutes because every woman that fears God is going to hear my words and love them. Right. And want to go home and shoot. She's not going to wait till she gets home. Amen. She's going to want to get started on them by the Spirit of God. I can pound away and yell until I'm blue in the face and work up 176 reasons why, but that isn't enough. God's got to make the difference. Amen. And when He does, we're going to have some great marriages. And I'm praying for you women. I'm praying for you women. I've been under submission before. I was once a son. I know how hard it is. I was once an employee. I know how hard it is. I'm a franchisee of a company that I don't like. I know how hard it is. And I meant what I just said. It's hard. 1 Peter 3, 4. Here's what a woman should be known for. Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. If you worry about your looks, it's all going away. God, by applying the judgment of sin to you, is going to deform you before you get to leave this world. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's what we can call it because that's what happens. He's going to deform you. So, instead of putting your emphasis on what's going to be deformed, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which cannot be deformed, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Amen. A godly woman is going to see a verse like that and realize God considers this something of great price. I'm so glad I was shown that because I want to be of a great price in God's sight. That's a godly woman. Her attitude will be that. What is a meek and a quiet spirit? A meek and a quiet spirit is one not putting herself forward, not answering again, not debating, not wanting to discuss, not wanting to make excuses, not wanting to fight. Not wanting to contend, but being quietly obedient to what her husband asks her with all subjection and fear. Read the context of these six verses. Meek, not ever wanting to put herself forward, always want to be in the background. That's what meekness is. That's what it was for Moses. Moses did not want that job. Moses tried to stay in the backside of the desert, and he would have spent the last 40 years of his life there if God would have let him. That's what meekness is. And a woman should be meek. We're not looking for your opinions until we ask for them. Don't answer again. 
and quiet. We don't need to hear women until we ask for them. The Lord said that, not me. Go read 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 14, other places. It's a meek and a quiet spirit. May God be praised. Amen. Women that love the Lord and understand their own natures and have read the Word of God know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, Ephesians chapter 5, again. Ephesians chapter 5. The most beautiful thing in the world that God's created other than the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a spiritual beauty that cannot be compared to anything in life, is the woman. But it's the woman that is obeying the Scriptures. One of these days I'll preach a sermon on the, the gracious woman versus the odious woman. They're both mentioned in the book of Proverbs. The gracious woman is Proverbs eleven sixteen. It says that a gracious woman retaineth honor. A woman that is gracious is always respected and always loved because of that graciousness. That's just the word of the Lord. That's a law of nature. That's a law of God. A gracious woman is always honored and respected because she's gracious. Proverbs eleven sixteen. But then Proverbs chapter 30 tells us that there's four things in the world for which the earth is disquieted and four that it cannot bear. And one of them is an odious woman when she is married. You get one of these women that want to yap, want to express their opinion, want to debate, want to contribute their inferior intellect into a conversation and let them get married where they think they have now won a man and you are in trouble and you've got one of the four things that disquiet this earth. Amen. You say, why'd you say inferior intellect? Because God told me to. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Don't let it offend you. Be thankful for it. That means somebody else has to make the big decisions. Amen. Sometimes we wish that somebody else was bigger than us to make them for us. Be thankful. But I'm here in Ephesians chapter 5 for point number 4 for women. Women, do you want to be perfect? Look what it says in verse 33. Let every one of you, it's the last part of the verse I want, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I've heard sermons preached that we ought not to call a bishop of Jesus Christ a reverend. And oh, they've waxed eloquent on how we ought not to reverence men. But I've got a verse here that tells wives to reverence their husbands. And it's the word of the Lord. It's not because I'm a man. I didn't stick it in there. You know the King James Version was written quite a while before I came along. But there it is. The wife is to reverence her husband. That is to set him up very high and basically worship him. She is, he is her purpose in life. He is her Lord. First Peter 3, 6. That's what Sarah would refer to Abraham in a private prayer in her own heart. That's incredible. I mean, just stop and think about it. When was the last time you prayed for your husband and you addressed him as your Lord? A good woman that's been taught by the Spirit of God loves that. She knows that. She knows how beautiful that could work. And she knows that the Lord said it, so whether she sees its beauty or not, she's going to do it. Right. That was number four. Titus chapter two now. Let's look at point number five for the women. Did God create the man? Did God create the woman? Amen. Did God create marriage? Amen. Do you think you can improve on it? No way. If he tells us these seven points that I have for the men and the women, if they were to be practiced, it would be the happiest, most fulfilling relationship for both sides beyond your imagination. True. 
because it is the infinite God that said it. And it's the infinite God that created the two parties and he created the marriage. And if he says this is the way that it works, I trust him and believe him that it is. it would be awesome. But do you know what? Our pride, our selfishness, our ignorance from our society, the temptation of our world gets in the way and keeps us from this. Right. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that the older women are to teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands. And the point I want to make here is, wives, point number five, love your husband. Love him. Don't merely obey him. Don't merely live with him. Love him. What happens over time in a marriage is that the two people become domestic partners in a family. The Lord doesn't talk about domestic partners. He talks about a woman loving her husband. And it's right here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. Love your husband devotedly rather than slipping into that horrible situation of just being a domestic roommate of his in the maintaining of a family. That's pitiful for what the Lord has for us if we'd follow his order. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. I have a marriage too. You have marriages. We want to be perfect. This is why the ministry is given. This is why we have the Word of God. The Word of God is able to make the man of God perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Amen. I have everything I need to be able to teach you how to have a perfect marriage. I have everything here to have a perfect marriage myself. Are we going to do it? Yes. We can press forward and we can meet Jesus Christ with perfect marriages. This is our first step tonight in our homes to take something out of this assembly and take it home and to work on it with the Lord's help. And I'm going to tell you how we start with the Lord in just a minute. Just hold on. But we want to look at some things for the women first. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says in verse 4, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. That word power there, like it's often used in the New Testament, means authority or rights. The wife doesn't have the right or the authority of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power, rights, authority of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. Point number six is, women, make the bed a passionate, pleasant priority in your life. If you don't, you are defrauding your husband. And by defrauding your husband, the Lord sees it and the Lord knows it, and he made you for the man, you will suffer for it. Make your marriage bed a passionate, pleasant priority in your life. Don't think that because you're content with once a month that that's enough for him. You have got to be thinking, how, how often would my husband want the marriage bed? And that is the choice that you make for your own life because you were made for him and not the other way around. Don't ever get into this mode. Look, look what the apostle presumes. He presumes that if a couple were to fast and pray for a couple of days, that they're going to have to make an agreement beforehand, a consent between them, because he's assuming regular use of the marriage bed. Is, do you all see that right there? Amen. And he says, don't defraud one another 
And women often defraud their men, and they wonder why the men become bitter and hateful. Very simple. You don't have the foggiest clue as to what he goes through with that particular drive of his. This is the word of the Lord. He preaches, he teaches us this. Marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, and I'm not saying anything that isn't fit for public consumption because the Bible has it here addressed to the church at Corinth and to the Hebrews. It's just part of life, and it's part of life that we want to please the Lord in so that when we rise from that marriage bed and drop to our knees to start the day and we say, Lord, fill me with thy spirit and bless me this day to walk with you, he hears us. Amen. And that's the reason I'm praying for it, not to create anything else in this church, but to go for that goal and to fulfill every commandment that he's given. Don't make your husband beg for it. Don't make your husband work for it. Don't make your husband suffer through mannequin affection. Make it a passionate, pleasant priority in your life because that's what the Lord wants you to do. Number seven, uh, we're not even going to turn there. Proverbs chapter 31 says that a woman, a perfect woman, is diligent and unselfish in her work. When you read Proverbs 31, that woman, what's the number one word that pops out of Proverbs 31? It's not even there. But the overall description of the character of that woman is diligence. So as you look at all of your activities and rearrange your priorities to fit these commandments of the Lord, make sure that you are diligent and unselfish. You were not created to have an easy life at home while your husband was the big breadwinner. Can't find that in the Word of God. Amen. Can't find it. I find the husband of the virtuous woman sitting in the gate. And she's out working all over the place to provide for that family and to take care of all of them. Now, we're not going to let any man get away with not providing for his own because the Bible says that also. But let's not get this Victorian idea in our heads that it's anything akin to the Word of God. And that's some woman sitting at home thinking she's being a good wife by listening to the radio and having tea with her neighbors. Amen. That's not a Christian wife. A Christian wife is out breaking a sweat somewhere. Read it in Proverbs chapter 31. You say, you're making it so hard for us. You do it God's way and he'll make it so easy for you. You'll be saying, this burden is light and his yoke is easy. Amen. Your husband will make it up to you. Seven points. Remember God's purpose in your creation for the man. The man wasn't made for you. It's not a mutual arrangement. Point number two, your role is one of submission. And obedience to his rule. Number three, a meek and quiet spirit is of great price. Don't argue, discuss, fight back, be contentious. Let him make his decisions for you. Number four, reverence your husband as your Lord. Number five, love your husband devotedly rather than becoming a domestic partner in the raising of a family. Number six, make the bed a passionate, pleasant priority in your life. Make it a priority. Bury him with the use of the marriage bed. Number seven, work diligently and unselfishly to be that glorious woman of Proverbs 31. What about the husband? What's a perfect husband like? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 Amen. and see if the Word of God can be brought to bear on men. Amen. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Spirit-led men are already convicted. Amen. Husbands, Love your wives. Amen. Even as Christ also loved the church. That was a pretty extensive love. Amen. And gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. 
that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Husbands, you ought to love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a sacrificial love and a great love and a deep love and a constant love and a secure love that they never have to worry about whether they're loved or not. He expresses his love. He shows his love. He gives of his love. But husbands, because you were made for the, you were made, marriage was made for you and you were made first, I want to point out what the whole passage teaches because I've never ever heard the sense of this passage given the way that it's right here in the writing for you. Do you know why you're to love your wife? You, you may have an ulterior motive. And the ulterior motive is to make your wife perfect so that you get more out of her in the way of the marriage union. That's what it says. Why did Jesus Christ love the church and give himself for it? Because he felt sorry for the church? That is not why Jesus Christ died for the church. Jesus Christ died for the church so that he could manifest his perfections in the universe by taking a sinful church and making it glorious, holy and without blemish, for his own honor and glory. And men, you're supposed to love your wife as your own flesh. Verse 28 and 29 is your own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Do you follow? Do you see that? Amen. Jesus Christ loved the church not because he felt sorry for them, but so that for all eternity he would have a church singing his praises. Men ought to love their wives with that deep, sacrificial, constant, perpetual, faithful, verbal love that Jesus Christ has for us in order to have a wife completely devoted to you. Just wanted to throw that last part in. Because that's what the text says, and I've never heard anyone teach it that way, but it's very plain. If we were to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and with the explanation that Paul gives here, that's what he's telling us. Husbands, if you want to get more out of your wife, if you want a more pleasing marriage, if you want a more pleasant relationship, love her. Make her perfect. Not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Treat, it like you do, treat her like you do your own body which we come to now in verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Cherishing your wife. Point number two for men. You need to cherish your wife. Cherishing your wife is to treat her with kind, tender, passionate, devoted affection. Every woman's heart just gets a little smile in it with those words. Kind, tender, passionate, devoted affection. You know, when I preach on marriage, neither sex should get a big grin on their face because the Word of God when it comes to marriage is a two-edged sword. And it cuts both ways. And so we've all got work to do. Cherish her. Not merely love her. Not merely be there for her. Not merely provide for her. Oh, what a pitiful marriage that would be. Not merely show up every night. At least I haven't left. At least I haven't divorced you. What in the world are you talking about? Let's go after what it says. Cherisheth it. And then it says to nourish it. Number three for husbands. Nourish your wife with opportunities and means and support to grow herself. When you nourish something, you feed it. You provide what it needs in order for it to develop more fully. That's what nourishment is. For something, and husbands are to nourish their wives with opportunities and help to be all that they can be as women and wives. 
Number four, uh, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where we started. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. When it comes to preaching on marriage, there's one side that has to be preached harder. That should be obvious to you because we live in the, 20th, in the 21st century now in the United States of America, where there is no more submission or reverence of husbands or obedience to husbands, but, on the other hand, men are told to get in touch with their feminine sides. You know, there, there is teaching and emphasis on men being tender and gentle toward their wives. Now, we don't care if they teach it or not because we're going to teach it from the Word of God because it's taught here. And so if anyone ever detects that I seem to be a little harder on the women, it's because... The women were made for the men, not the men for the women. And you women have never been to a men's meeting where I was in charge. And some of the men remember those. And because we live in a society where there is war being made against God's order in creation. And so I want to fight that war. But at the same time, we have to teach both sides because both are in the scriptures. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, let's read it again. Ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. When you live with your wife, you've got to remember some things. You should have learned some things about women, about your wife, and remember them. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Now, this knowledge shouldn't mean that you abuse her. This knowledge should mean that you give her honor because she's a weaker vessel. She is not going to keep up with the expectations or the demands of the average husband. She is going to let him down and fail at some of the things he wanted to have her do. She's going to make choices that are going to disturb him, frustrate him. It's just the nature of it. But if a man is dwelling with his wife according to knowledge and giving her honor, he'll remember that she's the weaker vessel, not expect out of her what he expects out of himself or another man. And he'll remember that she is an heir together of the grace of life and not a creature inferior spiritually. And I said this morning because I wanted to say it, and I said it last Sunday, kings and priests, women, before the Lord, able to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So husbands, you need to dwell with them, remembering those things. And when you remember she's an heir together of the grace of life, she's your sister in the Lord, along with being your wife, and she's a weaker vessel, those should get from you honor toward her. Not abuse, not criticism, but honor is what the text teaches us. Look at Colossians 3. Here's one that's hid away, way over here in Colossians chapter 3. It's short, and it usually escapes notice. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Well, we've already had that in Ephesians 5.25, but now he's helping us understand it just a little bit better and be not bitter against them. That is a commandment. Right. Every man in here that wants to be perfect and wants the Holy Ghost to come and fill you with His presence and lead you in a victorious Christian life, we cannot, must not, we will not be bitter against our wives. Amen. It's easy to get bitter against them. If your wife is not using the marriage bed in a way that pleases you, it's your fault. She's your wife. Tell her. If she wants to be obstinate, 
Matthew 18 works in such cases. Just don't be bitter about it. I'm just, you, I'm just picking one example out of the clear blue sky. There is no reason for bitterness in a marriage, and it's easy for husbands to get bitter. The woman gets hurt. She withholds from the man. The man gets bitter because the wife is withholding from the man. You've got a bitter husband. You've got a hurt wife. The wall goes up. They add a course a day until it's a city walled to heaven. And to pull it down is so hard. We all know what I'm talking about. And then you go to the Lord in prayer and you say, I see this. I see what's happening in our church. I see what I, what I should be. I want to be a man after the Lord's own heart. And you pray for it and your prayers bounce off the ceiling and come right back to you. Yep. Let's make war on that. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 4 said, The wife hath not power of her own body but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Who has the authority and the rights to the husband in the marriage bed? The wife does. Amen. That's what it says. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. Defraud ye not one the other. Men read that verse and they can only see it one way, but that is not true. It is not true. This verse, Paul words it very carefully by the Holy Ghost that it works both ways. And every man, if he's going to love his wife and be sensitive toward her and cherish her and be considerate of her, he's going to try to, he's going to learn. He's not going to try. He's going to learn her need for the marriage bed and he's going to fulfill it. Right. Whether he feels like it or not. And he's not going to live in the world that says, but you were made for me and I wasn't made for you. Because when we get to this text, Paul doesn't say that. Right. Now, in order to avoid the weak brethren in this congregation, I'm just going to make this statement. The perfect husband makes his wife more important in the marriage bed than himself. The Word of God and the Song of Solomon and nature teaches us that very plainly. If you want to be very happy in your marriage, you will make your wife the most important partner in the marriage bed, not yourself. Right. It will come back to you with a blessing that you cannot receive. Amen. The last thing for men, you better always be satisfied with her body and ravished with her love. Proverbs 5.19 says, let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe, always with her love. Don't you dare allow any substitutes to enter your mind or to enter your eyes or to enter your ears. This is the word of the Lord. Do you want to hear it again? Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. That is a commandment. Do you, know what, do you want to know what I personally believe is the strongest, hardest commandment in the Word of God for husbands? It's this one right here. If you will take that verse and by the Spirit of God read that and look at the always and the always and the all times, you will realize that that is a strong commandment. Don't you dare let substitutes enter your eyes or your mind. Be always satisfied with her and be ravished. You know what it means to be ravished? When a foreign nation comes into a nation and ravishes its women, what do you... They, I mean, it's rape. That's the, that's the other occasions of this word in the Bible. And what it means is men are supposed to be overcome forcibly by the love of their wife and their love for their wife. It's to consume them Amen. so that they're not having problems in verse 20 
with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger. Seven things for the perfect husband. He loves his wife. He cherishes his wife with tender, kind, passionate, and devoted affection. He nourishes her by making her all that she can and should be before the Lord. He honors her as the weaker vessel. He loves her compassionately and will not be bitter against her. That was number five. Number six, he makes his wife the most important participant in the marriage bed rather than himself because the Song of Solomon teaches that and so does 1 Corinthians 7. And then number seven, he's always satisfied with her and he's ravished with her love because he is not looking for substitutes nor allowing the fantasies of such substitutes. Seven things for women, seven things for men. What can we do about it? Seek the Lord first in your own life. The perfect marriage can only result from two people who have sought the Lord first. If you take a sermon like this in the flesh, go home, try to put it into practice. You've got seven things for the women, seven things for the men. There'll be some profit, but it won't be much. It's what we call, what, what we call where I came from, pushing on a rope. You can't push on a rope very far. You need the Holy Spirit of God. So the first step of having a perfect marriage is to seek the Lord first in your own life. Women, that's for you. Men, that's also for you. Seek the Lord first in your own life and pray and ask for His Spirit to fill you that you can fulfill all righteousness in your life. Because if it's not flowing from the Spirit of God, it will not realize God's blessings. The first step to a perfect marriage is to have a perfect relationship with the Lord. Second, pray about your marriage and ask the Lord to perfect you in this role. When was the last time you prayed and asked the Lord to make you a better husband? Now you've got some things to actually include in that prayer. Lord, don't let me be bitter against my wife. Women, Lord, teach me how to reverence my husband. That's the prayer that ought to come second after seeking the Lord first, seeking Him as the center of your life and the great desire of your heart. Asaph in Psalm 73 said, Whom have I? in heaven or on earth, but thee, referring to the Lord. And so before you ever turn your love towards your spouse, it should be directed to Him. Because when you've got a loving relationship with the Lord, the Spirit of God will let love flow out of you as the first part of the fruit of the Spirit towards your wife. But don't get that order mixed up. It won't work. And then you'll be sitting there saying it doesn't work. The Word of God doesn't work. Yes, it does work. Number three, plainly confess and forsake any sins to the Lord and to your spouse. I said plainly confess. Lord, forgive me for not having been a good wife. That doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it with the Lord. And it doesn't cut it with your spouse. Honey, I want you to forgive me for not being the husband I should have been. It doesn't cut it with a woman and it doesn't cut it with the Lord. Name your sin. Get plain and specific about it. Let's make sure you know what it is. Search your heart and confess and forsake any sins to the Lord and then say it to your spouse. Number four, what we can do. Read the Song of Solomon and try to figure out why it's in the Bible. Amen. It's there for a glorious reason. The Lord's not mentioned in it. Paul never quoted from it. It's there to describe the marriage standard. And you read it and you say, standard? This thing is so high, how do you get to it? What's it there for? 
The Lord stuck it in there by a man who was pretty experienced. Amen. And he had a lot of women that didn't make him happy. He said, I find more bitter than death, the woman. But he found one. At least he, you know, later in Ecclesiastes, he said he hadn't found one. But here in the Song of Solomon, he had one. Read it. Read the Song of Solomon. There's no better words to describe the passionate love between a man and a woman than in the Song of Solomon. Don't give me your Mariah Carey stuff that I referred to this morning. It's in the Song of Solomon. Beat this in an English class. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. That is beautiful. And you know where that came from? The mind of the living God. He's a romantic. That's why that book is in there. And that's what he wants us to have. And if we don't have it, our prayers are going to be hindered if we're not striving toward it. That was number four. Number five, pray together about your marriage and your desire for it to be the best. You know, I'm talking about some intimate conversation. I know. I'm a husband. All of you know some of my history. I know about intimate conversations, don't I? So when I say that, I mean it. And I've been there. But intimate conversations about where we have failed, what we have done wrong, and what we can do better, and the Lord can help us, and we're not going to give up until we have the Song of Solomon. No matter what we have to overcome. Number six. Try 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. That's the next best description. Now that's, that's a romantic statement there in Song of Solomon 8, 7. But to come over to 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, if you ever treated your wife that way, and she treated you that way, you'd end up in the Song of Solomon. I said that this morning, I believe that completely. Those 15 expressions in 1 Corinthians 13, forget applying them to church members, neighbors, or somebody at work. Apply them to your spouse. Believe all things. Hope all things. Think no evil. Be kind. Long-suffering. If you did all those towards your spouse, you would have the marriage that God wants you to have. Remember the words of... This is number seven. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that it's more blessed to give than to receive. If I have a spirit-led husband right now and a spirit-led wife, both hearing me say that from Acts 20.35, that it's more blessed to give than to receive and we had two halves in a marriage, both trying to give more than receive, what would happen in that relationship? (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Amen. No, I want to give you something. No, I want to give you something. And I'm just sort of... If we were trying to outgive instead of worrying about getting, but you know what we do in our selfishness? Well, they... He hasn't done anything for me. Why should I do anything for him? Where did that come from? That is, that is devilish. That is confusion and strife and every evil work. Well, if he loved me more, I'd submit better. No, you wouldn't. You need to get your heart right with God. Repent. Well, if she'd submit more, I'd love her more. No, you wouldn't. Love her anyway. Obey God and let him change her. You teach her, lead her, guide her. Love her into it. Number eight. Reorganize your priorities. 
or shed some obligations to put your marriage higher on your list. Amen. If we want to seek the Lord and be walking with Him, our marriages have got to be very important. Our prayers are going to be hindered. And the Lord's going to be a witness between us and our wives and see that we're dealing treacherously if we keep our marriage at such a low priority that it's not one of our chief goals in life. America is obsessed with more and more, both in the things that you possess and in activities. And we've got to draw a line sometime and cut them out so that we have more time for our wives. And wives have more time for their husbands. Exhort others and provoke others in this assembly to love and to good works in their marriage also. When we assemble like this, we're to provoke each other to doing the right things to please the Lord. Part of that's marriage. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath or your bitterness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Every person that's been married knows all about that. How hard it is if you've had a spat that day when you get to the intimate marriage bed and there you are, one person's laying on one side, the other on the other side, and they're both thinking the other could make this so easy if they would just roll over and say they were sorry for what they did. And so you lay there with your heart hurting, with bitterness building and frustration, and you go to sleep. Maybe. Thank you. Instead... Instead of that, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. If we were all willing, by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who when He was tried and tempted, did not revile, did not threaten, but He gave Himself willingly, can we give ourselves and roll over to our spouse and solve whatever difference we have? That is a cure for marriage problems. No perfect man or woman has ever married. So stop waiting for perfection. You're not going to get it. None of us. No one. And think about this. This is in suggestions for what we can do this very week to try to serve the Lord in our marriages. Submission requires your husband asking you to do something you don't want to do. Submission can never be done when your husband is asking you to do something you want to do, that isn't submission. That's right. That is a vacation. That's right. Submission requires him asking you to do something you don't want to do. So be waiting with joy in your hearts. I can't wait till he asks me to do something. The Lord will understand that I don't want to do. But I'm going to do it cheerfully for him. And husbands, you're not really loving your wife when she's doing exactly what you want her to. You're loving your wife when you have to overlook some fault of hers and love her anyway, because that's how the Lord loves the church. He loves us when we're imperfect. Last of all, avoid any worldly entertainment of movies, television, and magazines that are setting forth ideas of love, sex, marriage that are ungodly. And if you let your mind dwell on the images and the words and the actions and the relationships of television, of magazines, and of movies, you are destroying your marriage. Let the Word of God be your image. Let the Holy Spirit of God create all the words and the pictures and the pleasures and the love in your heart for your spouse. If you play around with giving place to the devil with worldly and sinful entertainment, 
the devil will trick you by deceiving you through the deceitfulness of sin into thinking that it's helping you because you were stimulated by what you watched. Which in the experience of life, a man and a woman will watch something they shouldn't have watched and they'll find that they were both more stimulated by what they saw and therefore they think that they got good out of something that they watched that was not right. Don't do it. That is the deceitfulness of sin. It will, you will pay the consequences for messing around with ungodly images and activities and relationships and words from those ungodly sources. Let the Word of God be your book that you read. Let the Word of God describe a good marriage because it's got them in there. The Song of Solomon is great. And let the Spirit of God lead you rather than the Spirit of Satan through the modern media of entertainment. If we don't want our prayers hindered and if we want the Lord to look, he'll be, He's going to be a witness. We're all going home tonight. We're all going to get in bed with our spouses and the Lord is a witness between us and our wives and between you women and your husbands. We want Him to look into our bedrooms and look into our hearts because He says, I'm a witness of your spirit. And we want Him to see husbands loving their wives without bitterness and women submitting cheerfully and joyfully and reverencing their husbands. And may the Lord bless us to have our prayers not hindered one bit, but to rise straight to the throne room of God and for Him to bless us with some marriages that are a testimony to the world and an example for all of our children Amen. and our mutual happiness. Amen. May the Lord be praised. Amen.